Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love I'm Nathan Mugas, pastor at Elk River Lutheran Church. I'm Lisa Sampson, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. Jeremy Hulkus, Minister of Congregational Care and Discipleship. And I'm Taylor Quinn, the Director of Music and Worship. And we are glad to have you joining us for another episode of Sacred Wit and our ERLC Powered by Love podcast. It's great to have you here as we continue our David series. David, almost perfect, but But not not quite. quite. So we enter into another story of David tonight. Today we're talking about David and Goliath. Probably a familiar text to most people if you ever went to Sunday school. Uh, Big Goliath and little David and David slew him with a stone and it's a big deal story. Um, So I'm curious, um, what has your experience been with these stories? I mean, we all, I think we all heard them in Sunday school. What do you think of David and Goliath now? I grew up with the 1960s or 70s Davy and Goliath claymation version of this, which is the boy and his dog that go and tackle the world. Um, And the church that I grew up in still played them on the old VHS. I mean, it was very antiquated. So I've had the sanitized version of uh, David and Goliath. I don't remember any, nothing comes to mind with David and Goliath. But what does come to mind is Noah and the flood, and and my Sunday school teacher used felt, felt F- flannel graph, technology. flannel graphing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I remember. I don't remember much about David wow. and Goliath. I mean, it's one of those stories that you know I, I remember vividly. I remember vividly a different version of VHS telling of it. Um, of you know, I just still remember the the lighting and the images of this little boy, and it kind of moved uh, in a funny way. And uh, I remember, yeah, him getting the the sling and whipping it around and it hit Goliath, and thinking, man, I wish I had a sling like that. You know, out on the farm, I could have really went after some birds or something. I don't know what I would have done. Uh, my brother, I don't know. And so it's probably good that I didn't have one. Um, but it is funny to think about now. I mean. This is a story about someone killing someone else. It's funny that I learned that in Sunday school as this like, yes, David got him. You know, when really, um, I mean, yeah, it's war and stuff. But, you know, it's interesting for me to think about now as an an adult and a a pastor and a a parent uh, that, okay, this is a great story we teach kids about how you, you know, better better kill the big guy who's trying to get you before he gets you. I've never looked too much into David and Goliath as, except for in my teaching of children. But the one thing that, that reminded me of Goliath was when I first saw Hagrid on film. Mm-hmm. Not when I read the books, but when I went to the theater and I saw Hagrid, I went, well, that's Goliath. It's a giant. <laughs> it's a giant, yeah. He's a half He's a, giant. Technically, yes, technically, but, uh, you know, technically. Yeah, but, uh, oh, gosh, Potter yeah, nerds. big guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we're going to read the story for you in our Reader's Theater style. So, Taylor. <clears throat> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to ERLC Reader's Theater. Today we'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 through 49. In the great valley of Elah, two armies gathered for battle. God's chosen people, the Israelites with their king Saul, were on one side of the mountain, and their enemies, the Philistines, were on the other side. From the camp of the Philistines came a giant of a man named Goliath of Gath. He was ginormous. He was nine feet and nine inches tall, and his coat weighed over 90 pounds, and his spear was 15 pounds. Goliath roared his challenge to the Israelite camp. Are you not here for a battle? Choose your best and send him to fight me. If he wins, we will be your servants. But if I win, which I will, you will be our servants. <laughs> King Saul and his leaders were afraid. <laughs> they knew they could not win against the mighty giant Goliath. For 40 days, Goliath came forward and took his stand and made his challenge. For 40 days, nothing happened. While this was going on, a young man named David was tending his father's sheep and running errands for his father. One day, his father, Jesse, summoned David. My son, bring this bread and cheese to your brothers and the others on the mountainside opposite the Philistines and the frightful Goliath. Make sure King Saul also receives some of this too. When David found his brothers, he heard the Philistine champion, giant Goliath, bellow. Send your best men to fight me. David turned to King Saul and said, God protects me from wolves and bears while I protect my father's sheep. He will protect me now, too. David reached down and carefully chose five smooth stones, which he carried in his pouch. In his hand, he carried his sling, and he walked down the mountainside into the valley of Elah to meet Goliath. Goliath laughed when he saw young David coming toward him. In fact, he roared with laughter and said, <laughs> You? You are the warrior they sent to fight me? David slipped a stone into his sling and said to Goliath, I am not afraid of you, Goliath of Gath. I fight in the name of the Lord. David moved closer to the giant, swinging his sling. The smooth stone flew through the air and hit Goliath in the forehead. <laughs> All nine feet and nine inches of the giant fell down to earth with a thud that could be felt all down the valley. When the Philistines saw that young David had defeated their giant warrior, they turned and ran away. King Saul, David's brothers, and the rest of the Israelites gave a cheer and thanks to God for saving them from their enemy with just a sling and a stone. Here ends ERLC Reader's Theater. So that's the story we've all heard and we grew up hearing. And, um, but I think there's a lot more to this story. So I think we're going to dig into that tonight and see what else there is. What else is going on? I have a question. Um, I know the term Philist Philist Philistines. They're a band in Kansas City. <laughs> sure. But... I'm not quite Bible. <laughs> but I'm curious. I'm curious. What are the Philistines in this story? Yeah, yeah. And so um, there's an interesting answer to this. So let's give some context to it. If we can go back to the actual text, this reader seer is a little adaptation. So if you're following along in your Bible, you'll notice there were some a few words kind of added to either spice it up or shorten it a little bit because it is a long text. 
And so, Lisa, do you want to read a couple of verses about the Philistines, and then we'll talk about who, yeah, who are the Philistines? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sukkot, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkot and Azkah, and the Emphas Damanin. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Yeah, well, uh, very well done reading all Thanks. those crazy, goofy names about these and locations. And they were all correct. <laughs> you said them all perfectly. Um, should we drag Taylor a little bit about the way he keeps mispronouncing Philistines no, when we were uh, practicing? <laughs> Philistines, Philistines. How did we tell you to remember it, Taylor? Christine. <laughs> yes. So if I slip into Christine while reading the next stuff, then, then you know, know why. Why is, he, why is Taylor talking about Christines and the Christine army? Um, uh, well, so the Philistines uh, in this story, as we've already heard a couple times now, it, they're the enemy that Saul's army, the people of Israel, are fighting against. They're the enemy. And that's actually the role they play pretty much throughout the Bible. Uh, every time the Philistines show up, uh, for the most part, it's as an adversary. And I think what's, what I think is really interesting is biblical scholars actually disagree about who the Philistines were. Uh, for the most part, a lot of them believe that the Philistines weren't actually a set nation uh, of people, but in fact that the writers of the Bible actually just used that term Philistine as kind of a generic term for anyone that the people of Israel were doing battle against. So, I mean, isn't that kind of interesting that maybe, you know, maybe it was this nation of people or this nation of people, but they just get called the Philistines. And so that's why all throughout the Bible, it kind of seems like they're always doing battle with the Philistines because they kind of are. <laughs> like, it's kind of the Philistines um, from right back to when Moses uh, leads the people of Israel right up to the promised land and then they head in. It's the Philistines who are there. And so I've heard I've heard the Philistines in different parts of different stories, I believe. Yes, indeed. And so uh, let me share a few examples. One, uh, early on uh, in the book of Judges, chapter 13, we hear stories of the Philistines uh, with the fighting with the people of Israel. And the, is, the people of Israel, they have a great hero named Samson. Uh, oh. And so if you remember the escapades of the great hero Samson, uh, those come from mostly the book of Judges. And they're fighting the Philistines. And so uh, a couple trivia questions for Samson, okay? Okay. okay? So all of you, see if you know the answers to these <laughs> questions. What was it that gave Samson, the hero, his kind of superhero strength? He was like more powerful and strong than a normal person ever should be. And what was it that gave him his superhero strength? Do you know it? If you know it, uh, shout it out, comment on it, wh- whatever. How about you all? What was it? It's a thing I wish I had. Yes. Oh. His faux hawk. Yes. Is that what you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. His hair, his hair. And if you know the story, then uh, later this uh, lady named Delilah will cut his hair and all of a sudden he's just a normal strong guy, not the superhero strong guy. So, um, and when uh, in in that story, when he's fighting the Philistines, Samson uses an unlikely weapon. So here's trivia question number two, our last uh, trivia question for Samson. Uh, What was the weapon that he used? Do you know? When he's fighting the, the Philistines. It wasn't a sword. It wasn't a 
Spear, uh, it wasn't even a slingshot. It was something really weird. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was a, the jawbone of an ass. Because yes. that's such a scary thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. The jawbone of an ass or a donkey. And so, like, that is a crazy thing to picture, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure that's a hard thing that I wouldn't want to get hit with. But if you ever look up art, like, yeah. you know, famous paintings of, you know, like, even old, old, of Samson wielding the jawbone, I mean, it's funny because it's small. Like, right. relative to a really big muscular guy, it's kind of a funny little weapon. The images are always, you know, the the jawbone looks part dinosaur rather than yeah, yeah, a T Rex. Might they gotta kind of spice it up a little bit, yeah. yeah. Because in reality, a, a jawbone's not that big. But that's what the story story goes. That that's what uh, Samson uh, did. Well, uh, the Philistines show up much earlier in the book of First Samuel as well, including, uh, you know, they're fighting against uh, against Saul, and they actually capture the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, you may remember from uh, earlier times in the Bible, the Ark of the Covenant was that ornate box that was built to hold the Ten Commandments. So the people of Israel, even as they were wandering, uh, had this uh, Ark that carried the Ten Commandments. It was a focus of worship and uh, really key to their identity as a people. And the Philistines stole it. You may also remember uh, another time in history when uh, the Nazis captured the Ark of the Covenant in the early 20th century and an American archaeologist had to recapture it. His name was Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah, and so uh, if you remember, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was just a movie. It wasn't real. Or was it? We or was know. it? Yeah. Maybe it was a documentary. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, entertaining story. Uh, and uh, finally, that, you know, as we we could go on and on with these examples of the Philistines fighting people, but uh, if you fast forward to near the end of the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 31 is where the Philistines will actually defeat and kill King Saul. That's, he ends up meeting his demise at the hands of the Philistines. So uh, in these David stories, the Philistines play, play a big role, but uh, really you'll find them all throughout the Bible. And to go back to the very first thing, a part of the reason is we kind of believe that that might have been a term, not just for one specific real difficult group of people that they always butted heads with, but that that was kind of this, this term used for who they were fighting in general, right up to the end of Saul's experience. So, right. yeah. yeah, and it's interesting too, the hero Goliath comes out of that, you know, this, this sort of hero yeah. champion of the people ultimately comes out of that text. Um, and we have, if you're following along for Samuel 17, 4 to 11, uh, we'll do a little bit of digging into who this character really is. Um, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Goth whose height was six cubits, how tall is a cubit, and a span, about that tall, right? He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. Yes. Thick. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. This is big. Think big, big, big. And his shield bearer went before him, so somebody who carried a shield. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so there are all these kind of crazy theories about did Goliath exist? Is, you know, um, because everything he had was in bronze, is he part of the Bronze Age? Um, and you can really get lost in the weeds or history channel on, you know, figuring out who this person is or where, you know, things might exist for him. Um, but we're kind of going to pull back a little bit from that and kind of focus a little more on um, some nuances that hold some truth. So Goliath, it's important to know, Goliath is the champion. He's well-loved. Um, he's probably the, the great hero of the Philistine army. Um, and so the Philistines put their faith in Goliath's abilities. Um, and if you catch in the text the kind of interesting parts, Goliath um, is the one they choose to either win or lose the battle for the entire army. And so think... Um, if you're like literature, think Homer's Odyssey, right? Paris and Menelaus in the Battle of Troy. Um, you can think uh, Achilles, this great hero, um, or even Ajax. So kind of Greek mythology kind of falls into this category. Um, so it's not uncommon that Goliath really would have been in this position to do these things. Um, and it's kind of fascinating to think about Goliath being for the people he's with calling out Israel in so many ways saying hey you know send me the person that I'm going to defeat so you can just be our servants um, so it had me kind of thinking about um, the Goliaths in our own stories and the Goliaths we see kind of overcoming or we see experiencing as we move forward in life so tell me a little about your Goliaths and if you're watching this is a great question for you guys too and you mean Goliaths not the heroes of our lives but like the that thing that Obstacles. stands in op opposition to sure. us. Yeah. One example that I've shared before at different times and different contexts, I think, is um, in 2011, Annie and I lived in Minot and, and our house flooded. And, you know, I think back to that time and uh, initially we didn't even know how big of a Goliath it was because, you know, the river was getting high, so we had to evacuate for probably a few days until it went back down. And so, you know, we went and stayed with a friend of mine's parents, and we thought, okay, this will just be a few. Well, a few days turned into a few weeks, and then the river really flooded, and um, and that turned into months. And we stayed with them for four months and ended up being out of our house for 18 months before we were finally rebuilt it and moved back in. And so, you know, I mean, that was a huge Goliath kind of challenge in our lives, but then because of, you know, the situation of it being a flood of our city, like lots of other people were facing that same challenge. And, you know, so in hindsight, I, I look back at it is, you know, we didn't conquer it alone in any sense, but it's very good to look at that as a memory and to not versus going through, it. <laughs> you know, right. in the time it was terrible and, and it was hard. It was scary and it was just uncertain. 
And I, I, I've thought about that a lot recently because it feels so similar to this pandemic experience, even down to, you know, early on, like that first week when things started and we canceled church that weekend in March thinking, oh gosh, this probably be a couple of weeks. We were order some hand sanitizer and get ready that when we come back and, you know, weeks turned into months turned into, you know, we're still not sure now, like this has gone on longer, I think than any of us would have guessed back in March, right? And, and so this is this like Goliath-sized challenge that not just part of the city of Minot is facing, but it's the whole world is facing mm -hmm. this Goliath together. And, you know, eventually we'll be looking back on it and having conquered this, but man, when you're in the fight, it's a fight and it feels mm -hmm. like a fight these days a lot of times. Absolutely. It's such a, it's been such a long Goliath to deal with yeah and it's it, and you want it to just stop fighting it but we have to keep going yeah keep looking until for that, it's done yeah that one stone that this yep. will be the one that gets it and knocks <laughs> right. it down and and re i mean the vaccine's probably that that shot that you know could yeah. come eventually but mm -hmm. yeah until then we got to learn to live with this thing for a while mm -hmm. right. i was thinking of it too like my greatest fear and i i hate sharing it but it is my greatest fear is public speaking sure and so i always what? like you picked a weird right? job dude. <laughs> yeah. i picked the wrong place to be but i always like i have to live into that moment of like the fear especially in church like walking from the chair we sit in up to the pulpit i'm shaking so bad it's ridiculous until i get there and go okay god's got this like something else is better um, and so having to to literally conquer this thing within myself every time i go to public speak it's just this kind of challenge for me of like, oh yeah, gotta trust that something's better on the other side. I think my Goliath was when I was younger, it was with my identity. I'm adopted and my parents loved me. They were great parents, um, and, but I just never quite fit in and I didn't know who I was, especially when you're doing those um, social studies projects where you trace your family, yeah. mm. both my parents have huge genealogy on both sides already done for me I'd come in with a great poster with the longest thing back to 1700 in Norway it was great yeah. but they weren't my people yeah. sure. and so I still don't know a whole lot about who my birth parents were but what changed for me was when I had my own children because then I realized that that now I had a family even though they you know it gets common those of you that are adopted probably understand this more yeah. but but that's what overcame it for me is that I realized that we choose our family, our friends are our family, and my children made a huge difference for me mm -hmm. with that. I, I'm thinking about my Goliaths that I, that I overcame. Uh, there are Goliaths still that I deal with now, like sometimes on. my personality kind of gets in the way of me. <laughs> but I've realized um, it's been an, been an emotional giant that I've gotten past and for me it's been my resentments like just growing up you know just I think whatever family you're in that you develop these resentments towards people and my Goliath that I have overcome is when I faced those resentments did something about it and they no longer have a hold on me you know so I I love this idea of of reflecting on what have my Goliaths been and what has been overcome, you know, permanently. But we also have those moments where we our giants come and go, you know. Well, it's interesting, like, as a, as a society and a world, we're still talking about giants, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, right? These are things that 
are out there that people are wrestling with to try to find some resolution to. And I think they come up against it and they're hearing that taunting and they're trying to figure out what do I do with this? Um, and I think as we sort of, as a collective whole, begin to un understand what God is doing, what community is doing, what people are doing, we ultimately start to discover that those giants aren't so scary after all. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we're kind of heading into this piece of um, this great, wonderful song, We Shall Overcome, which is this march and this challenge to think about. Yeah. Um, but our giants still exist. We're still facing these things every day. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Well, personally, some of those are inside of us. You know, like Taylor talking about your own feelings that mm -hmm. you know, only you can see and even fully experience. And yet, uh, then there's all these external giants. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. right. And we have a song to kind of help you through that. So, uh, so Jeremy was talking about the giants that we face, and sometimes we don't see the end. And... Uh, music helps us get through it and so um if you know the song we shall overcome will you sing it with me we shall overcome we shall overcome we shall overcome someday oh shall overcome someday. Well, um, we're going to move towards thinking a little bit about David. Getting to the big guy himself here. Uh, well, the big the little, little guy. guy uh, himself, <laughs> the little guy, exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that's, I think, most interesting about this story in the broader context is what we really see in this story is the beginning of Saul's decline right along with the beginning of David's ascendancy. And uh, a part of part of my thinking about this is, once again, like I'll, I'll look for any excuse I can to talk about the <laughs> Hamilton musical. Uh, yes. And so I will use this as an opportunity to do that because I think there's some parallels. Uh, if you know this musical, Hamilton, uh, it, it really focuses largely about telling the story of Alexander Hamilton and in this unlikely rise to power and prominence um, that you know you wouldn't have expected that from his background it makes him a super interesting character and a, a great focus of that story well uh, David likewise at this point in his story he's still this young man he has been anointed chosen to be the next king but no one except for his family and Samuel, the prophet who chose him, really know anything about mm -hmm. that. And so he's living still in kind of obscurity, bringing cheeses to his uh, his brothers who are at the battle. Um, and so he's kind of in the background. And yet then uh, as he is there in this story, he takes center stage mm -hmm. while Saul, we start to see his decline as the young scrappy David's fame starts to grow, especially after he kills this giant. And so uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer of the musical, he really lays out Alexander Hamilton's rise in song number three on the, uh, the track. It's uh, number three, My Shot. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm going to share a little bit of this with you and you all can help me uh, with the shots at awesome. least, if you will okay so awesome. uh, hear these words and think about like okay this is talking about Alexander Hamilton in the 1700s but uh, 
how does it think about David in the BC years, <laughs> quite mm -hmm. a few uh, years earlier, okay? So here's how it goes. It goes, I'm not throwing away my shot. shot. No, I'm not throwing away my shot. shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. shot. I'm going to get a scholarship to King's College. I probably shouldn't brag, but dang, I amaze and astonish. The problem is I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I got a holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge. I'm a diamond in the rough, a shiny piece of coal. Trying to reach my goal of power speech. Unimpeachable. Only 19, but my mind is older. These New York City treats get colder. I shoulder every burden, every disadvantage. I have learned to manage. I don't have a gun to brandish. I walk the streets famished. The plan is to fan my spark into a flame, but dang, it's getting colder. Let me spell out my name. I am the A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R. We are meant to be. A and this is where it talks about the British colony. It's not as, as reflective, so we'll skip that part. Uh, but he goes then, don't be shocked when your history book mentions me. I will lay down my life if it sets us free. Eventually, you'll see my ascendancy. I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, that. All right, when's your record deal coming out? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Harmonica. Well, I mean, the tin sandwich. The many, yeah. many talents. That Rapping. Pre-COVID, we so, didn't uh, Thank you to my mom and dad for letting me buy that vanilla ice tape back in the <laughs> early 90s. It's really helped me develop these skills over the years. Um, and uh, yeah, well, <laughs> so it is kind of funny. So y'all can find that song and find uh, Lynn doing a much better job rapping it than me. Uh, but <laughs> we all here have the words in front of us, uh, which is helpful because... Uh, I said them kind of fast. Lynn says them really fast uh, in the album. Uh, but uh, if you listen to those, you might see, I think there are quite a few parallels in this with the David story. And so especially you guys with the advantage of having the words in front of you, you all, if you uh, look them up uh, online, you can find them. Uh, but I want to see, what parallels do you all see in this, the way uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is telling Alexander Hamilton's story and his ascendancy and the way we hear uh, and see David's ascendancy in this story and others. I think in First Samuel forty-eight, uh, David actually spells out his name. Yeah, I am the D A V I D. Yeah, that's right. So there's a similarity. It's very dramatic. It's good. Okay. Well, I what I pulled out of there, I didn't find that part in yeah. my yeah. Bible. Yeah. Um, but where it says that he shouldn't brag, but dang, I'm amazed and astonished. Yeah. Back when we talked about how um, God doesn't look at the outside appearance, but then right away when they go to describe David, they're saying, oh, and he was so ruddy and, and handsome and had beautiful eyes. Right. He amazed but and dang. astonished. Yeah. But dang, <laughs> he mm -hmm. was a good-looking guy. Yeah. Um, and he has a lot of brains and no polish. He's young. You know, he's yeah. he's he's a leader. He's doing all those things, but he just doesn't have it together yet. He literally doesn't have armor, so he's not shining, right? No. Yeah. Right. I love this. I'm only 19, but my mind is older. Like, mm -hmm. think of a kid jumping into the fray. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, David's already sort of gotten into Saul's court and playing music and mm -hmm. all of these things. Like, he's got to be smart to do this. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, being a young one, like, stepping into that role, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's, you know, we have no reason to believe that David wrote all the Psalms at the end of his life when he was old. Right. Like, you know, we talked about Psalms last week, and that's, you know, likely he, 
you know, he was an old wise soul. Like right. this was this mm-hmm. giftedness that he had going back, you know, from youth, you know, and right. and so yeah, I think that's yeah, very very good parallel. And he, he didn't have a gun to brandish, so he didn't have the chainmail and the sword and stuff. He yeah. used what he had, mm-hmm. which was his wits. Right? Yeah, and I think too, even just that chorus line, you know, I'm not throwing away my shot. Um, he's there on the battlefield. So are hundreds and maybe thousands of other people who could have stepped up to, you know, offer to fight Goliath at any time, and yet David's the one who sees the opportunity. He just is bringing lunch to his brothers, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll take the shot. I'll, I'll do this, you know. And um, I mean, yeah, he's not throwing away a shot. He's just young, scrappy, and hungry. He's not throwing away his shot. His brothers were. <laughs> his hungry. brothers were hungry. Yeah. That's why he brought. He's the young cheese. and scrappy. He brought the lunch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm young and scrappy. Yeah. My brothers are hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh. Oh, always to to uh, Hamilton. That's just awesome. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it one step further here as we're kind of thinking about our next step. Uh, there's this great line in there. The problem is I got a lot of brains but no polish. I got to holler just to be heard. With every word, I drop knowledge. Yeah. Like we catch this uh, David moving forward in the story. Um, David is ultimately asked to do a little bit of errand running for Jesse. Um, bring bring this meal to them. And so we'll read First Samuel seventeen seventeen to nineteen. Uh, Jesse said to his son David, "Take for your brothers an ephah." of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their house uh, of their thousand. See how your brothers face and bring some token for them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David is the errand boy basically. He's running between the sheep in the field to the battlefield. Um, My guess is in this story, it's not the first time David's done this. Um, And so we catch this like um, the younger brother being tasked with the chores. I mean, we do this with our own kids too. Um, So, you know, Clayton gets to go grab things all the time for mom and dad. It's kind of part of the process. Um, But it's also fun. Like David would have heard these taunts from Goliath. He'd been there, I'm guessing, a few times. David had come out for four, or Goliath had come out for 40 days and taunted at the Israelites. And every time that he did, the Israelite army would cower in fear and run away. Um, and I'm guessing, reading into the story a little bit, David probably just got sick of it. I mean, I think that he would have said, ah, I don't like this guy. Um, why does he do this? And so David runs into the lines where his brothers are into the, into the field of battle. And he starts asking these questions about, um, you know, what will we get if we take care of this, this uh, disgusting person, Goliath? I mean, there's just kind of this, you know, character thing of David to just keep asking. And he gets louder and louder and he keeps asking these questions. And of course, being the younger brother, the older brother does what happens. They get mad at each other, mm, yeah. right? Um, his brother basically says, quit doing this. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, and so David keeps pestering the soldiers around his brother um, and keeps asking. And ultimately what happens um, is the word gets around the troops. And then the word ultimately gets up to Saul, who says, well, send him over here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just kind of this interesting like exchange that this little kid on the battlefield in and amongst the troops, ultimately it's summoned to the king. 
Yeah. Um, and before Saul can say a word, David is already saying, oh, I'll take care of this guy. Uh, your servant will take care of it. Don't lose heart, man. Um, I think there's something powerful about David's presence. One thing to note in the text, if you're following along, if you have followed the Old Testament, um, and especially this story, all along the way, God is God's voice is heard. So God says to Samuel, you know, this is the king, right? And God actually speaks in the text. From a literary standpoint, the David and Goliath story, God is, God's voice is silent. There's no, oh, David, you can defeat this kid, this Goliath, you know, go do it. God isn't there in that same sense. Um, so it's always kind of curious um, if you think about that sense that God isn't directing David's path directly, um, that there's something else going on. So what would this tell you guys about David's experience with God? David is known as the, is it the man after God's own heart? Like you, you hear that often about David. And what I'm thinking of is, isn't it just great when someone does something and you don't ask them to do it? <laughs> and I think that's what happened. You know, I think that's actually really, I love that you said that because because that really just, it speaks volumes. It becomes profound. Right, yeah. Wait, God didn't say anything? He, right. David, on his own, decided to do this because of his faith right. and what he believed. Yeah. I you think, da I see David as a leader that that he just jumped right in there, just like all of us have done it one time or another. We just, I'll just do it myself. I'll, you people have been yeah. standing around here for 40 days. 40 is an important number in the Bible. Yeah. It, we have to it, we have to end it today, so I'm just going right. to do it. Right, right. This is the 41st day. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, going. Yeah, we can't go to 41. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because on the surface, it's like David is either really, you know, cocky, arrogant, you know, too self-assured, or he's deeply faithful. Right. Uh, and, and trusting that God will carry him through. But I think there's room that maybe it's a little bit of both. Right. right? I, I mean, I think there's something to David's character, it would seem, that gives him a self-confidence and a trust in both God and himself. Mm -hmm. right. You know, um, because this is a big, bold thing, and he'll do a lot of bold things in his, in his life. And, uh, right. yeah, this is the, the one that makes him famous, for sure. Right. So can I pitch a movie? Have you seen the movie Big Fish? Yes. yes, years yes. ago, but I remember okay. loving it. So the story is this young kid goes into the witch's house, and, he, and if you see the witch's eye, ultimately you'll know how you'll die. I mean, it's this great image right off the bat. And so Edward Bloom is his name, but he spends <laughs> the rest of his life going, that's not how I'll die, I can do anything. Yeah. I mean, is this is great connection to this, uh, this <laughs> ability to know where you're going. And yeah. I wonder if, you know... David is anointed in secret. David has already been told that God is with him and he is to be king. Oh, yeah. Well, he can do anything. I mean, yeah. this guy can accomplish it all. So. He already experienced God. And yeah, wow. Kind of an interesting moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that, that airs more on the side of, of faith, still a little reckless. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, if God's truly faithful to him, like God said God would be, well, then. Wow, sure, fight a giant. Right. Yeah. Do it wow. because I am with you, even if I don't have to tell you directly. I love yeah. that sense of maybe there's something about the way David just charges in. Yeah. I think it is an example of when we know ourselves well enough to have confidence in who we are, 
that coupled with our faith makes a really strong uh, presence and impact. Because I think you, I don't, I don't know if you said it, but when we're when we know the gifts that God has given us and are comfortable with that and know who we are, I'm just imagining David like the dude knew how to throw a sling. I mean, yeah. he knew how to throw rocks with a sling, you know, and uh, just that coupled with faith, I think, makes a powerful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to go to another part. So David, you know, shows up with the sling, which is kind of unexpected. Uh, but the next uh, section in my notes here is called David's wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> uh, and so that's a kind of fun throwback to that Super Bowl. That was Super Bowl. Timberlake and Janet Jackson. That was a weird thing, huh? Um, and so uh, David experiences his own little bit of a wardrobe malfunction in a sense because he arrives uh, on the battle scene not to fight a battle. He's delivering the, the lunches to his brother, and so he's not dressed to fight a giant. And so we get a little funny kind of exchange that happens in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, these couple of verses, 38 and 39, tell us of uh, his wardrobe, if you will. So Lisa, you want to read these couple of verses? Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I can't walk in these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Yeah. Did you say sword? Sword. <laughs> I liked all the letters in that word. Yes. There you go. It's good. Well, I, this is always a part of like the videos I've watched about King David and, you know, and fighting Goliath or not King David, young David uh, mm -hmm. and King Saul as he goes to fight Goliath is that Saul lets him put on his armor and it's like so funny because it doesn't fit him. He's like the little guy in the, in the big armor. And so like, uh, what is really fascinating though, I mean, this is King Saul who one, it's nuts that he's gonna let this kid fight the giant on their behalf when he's got all this this whole army of people who are probably you know more likely. So there's something stirring even in Saul when he's in David's presence that makes him think like, oh yeah, this kid's good. And and not only that, but then he gives him his armor. I mean the king's armor, the best deal you know, that he's got there, but little david it doesn't fit you know <laughs> little, you know little david's too too little and so um and so he has to take it off and go back to just his shepherd's clothes and his shepherd's weapon of a, of a sling and I think that is just a really kind of fascinating thing about this this whole thing is that uh you know David's wearing armor too big for him so he gets back to his shepherd's clothes and that is what he goes to face the giant in and um you know, all, all through the story, everyone is just bending to David's will. Like, everything's going David's way. Everything that can does. Like, he's just there to bring food, but he ends up fighting the giant. You know, uh, Saul gives him his armor. You know, Saul, you know, the whole people, they celebrate the victory. And so, anyway, it, it's all this, like, leading towards, again, David's ascendancy. You know, mm -hmm. this is David growing in fame and growing into this role of ultimately being king. And uh, so one connection I was thinking about 
with comics. We'll get out of the musical realm and go to comics for uh-huh. a second. So the latest Spider-Man movie, which I'm sure you've all seen, Into the Spider-Verse, it's actually animated. Uh, but in that movie, uh, there's a new Spider-Man character, Miles Morales, a new kid. It's not Peter Parker anymore, because in that world, Peter Parker has, has died. So that Spider-Man has died. And uh, now there's this new kid, Miles Morales, gets bit by a radioactive spider. And so he becomes a new Spider-Man. So he gets the Spider-Man powers. But there's this really fascinating scene that I think is so interesting in relation to this story. Because uh, he now, he doesn't want everyone to know that he is Spider-Man. And so he needs a costume to hide his identity. And because this is a world that already had a Spider-Man, you can buy Spider-Man costumes. (laughs) So he goes to the store buys a spider-man costume and if you know marvel comics movies you know stan lee the creator like the kind of one of the main creators of marvel uh, and the creator of spider-man in particular he created that character he always does cameos in the movie and so that's his cameo stan lee is the clerk selling this new spider-man his costume and uh miles morales his new spider-man kid he's like oh i don't know if this thing is gonna fit and uh, Stanley has this just great line where he goes, it always fits, eventually. Right. And I think it's kind of this profound thing for this kid, because you know, for now, like he's not ready to be Spider-Man. He's just a kid who'd learned that he can uh, stick to the walls and ceiling you know, with his hands. Uh, and David isn't ready to be king yet. Like That armor literally doesn't fit yet. He, he's got some growing to do, both physically, apparently, but also just uh, into that role. He's got some growing to do. And so uh, he's not there yet. Uh, and so he doesn't pick up the sword in this story. He puts it down. But eventually, it will fit. Eventually, he becomes the king of kings in the history of the people of Israel, where he is the most well-known king. But that sword that he didn't wield in this first day ultimately uh, becomes the story of his life. He, he puts that armor on, and he never takes it off. It's a part of the, in a sense, kind of the curse on his house is that the sword will not pass from the house of David because uh, of some bad stuff he does a little later on. We'll get into that. Uh, um, And so uh, ultimately he wears that sword and and that's his way. It's a way of violence. And yet then we get to the story of Jesus where Jesus, the son of David, as he's often called, not literally a son of David, but uh, of that lineage. And he is a king that rules very differently. He doesn't take up the sword. He doesn't even take up the sling <laughs> of violence. And instead, even as Jesus is uh, is arrested, you know, we hear this verse uh, where uh, in Matthew 26, verse 52, so Jesus is being arrested and one of his disciples pulls out a sword and Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And so I wonder what you think about that phrase in relation to David and in relation to us. Do you think about the story of, of David taking up the sword and of Jesus not taking up the sword? What does that phrase mean to us? All who take up the sword will perish by the sword. I think that you, what you give, you get in return. Yeah. So when you're kind and generous and graceful to other people, you should get that back. Mm-hmm. But if you pick up that sword then you have to expect that in kind. Sure. Yeah. It's the saying, you know, when you're pointing the finger at someone else, there's how many fingers pointing back at you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that can be used either for good or for bad, right? right. I mean, because right. when, when what you're dealing out is kindness and love and grace, yeah, still some hardship comes your way, but more grace and love, it will be returned, absolutely. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, like as a parent, one of the things that I'm always trying to do is do better than my parents or my parents' parents. Like, yeah. we hope that my kids ultimately learn something a little bit different than I did. Um, sure. And we always have this sort of, instead of extending the sword and keeping the sword going, that we learn how to extend something else. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and think about how does that change? How do our words and actions impact the next person? Yeah. Um, Another buzz term I'm thinking about is breaking generational curses, yeah. which is yeah. what I grew up believing in and the faith that I had. And yeah. that's important, but we, we aren't victim to that. We can, we can do something about that. You know, We can take that sword, put it down, and put something else in there. Yeah. Um, for this statement, I think of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and yeah. his, his work in nonviolent protests right. and how he is an example of 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 doing something significant in this world but not using the sword to do it it probably takes longer to do so but it's more effective you know and i i really do think about him when i hear that part of the that passage yeah i mean that nonviolent resistance is is it's a that's a long hard battle itself you know um with with john lewis's passing you know there's been so many tributes kind of paid to him and and retelling and rehearing for me rehearing that story of, of his life um you know i've heard some interesting reflections and, and tellings of it and the truth is nonviolent resistance is not nonviolent. It, it's violent like that's the story of you know him being beaten on the bridge in selma that was a very violent uh, thing it's it's the not repaying violence with more violence mm-hmm. you know in nonviolent resistance it's usually only one side that's nonviolent. <laughs> Um, the other is violent and that's part of the power in it is is shining a light on what we know is not the way you know that hate and violence is not the way that we want to all live and so um yeah i think that's what's really hard is that that a lot of there's violence in the world and even in that nonviolence resistance movement there was a lot of violence, and that's part of what the power was. You know, to be nonviolent when someone's being violent to you—that is—that is tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now Jesus modeled that for us. Well, you know, there he is, over right? and over again, and so did Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, David lived in a very violent world, mm-hmm. and he picked up that sword and did not put it down. Mm-hmm. That ultimately becomes his demise. I mean, generationally. His son, Rehoboam, at the end of this text, will ultimately be the one to make the choice of continuing the evil or moving it forward, changing the way it goes. And ultimately, he chooses the worst, and it destroys the kingdom of God. I mean, so there's this great like challenge there of we're called to something else, and yet we live into what we know if we're not careful. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, I'm thinking of this great Isaiah 2-4, this call to... to turn swords into plowshares yeah. that that which is used for destruction ultimately becomes that which is used for creation mm-hmm. yeah. I mean there's there's something calling us to that and I think that becomes a challenge even in reading a text like this where the next step is really this this epic battle scene so to speak yeah, um, yeah. violence right it's right. violent and yeah. 
And the the non-sanitized Sunday school version is very very violent. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, I this mean, this story would have an R rating. Yep. <laughs> if it yeah. was if it was on in the movie theater. Yeah. So Taylor, would you be willing to read First uh, Samuel seventeen? Absolutely. First Samuel seventeen verses forty five through forty nine. But David said to the Philistine, "You come to me with sword and spear and javelin." But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give, he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The, sto- the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Yeah. And before we get too far into this kind of unpacking that little bit of text, um, we want to invite you to hear a, kind of a new song to us, but Fear is a Liar is the name of it. Um, it has these wonderful lyrics, and I just want to share just a little bit of it. Um, and it's when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight. And when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough, that fear is a liar. Uh, It'll take your breath, stop you in your steps. It'll rob your rest, steal your happiness. The sense of fear that must have come in that moment, David sort of overcomes. I mean, he runs into battle and he runs into this moment of just overcoming what for most of us would stop us in our tracks. I think that's the important part of talking about our our fear and our giants. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, When he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight. When he told you you're not worthy. When he told you you're not loved. When he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough. Fear, he is a liar. take your breath stop you in your steps fear he is a liar he will rob your rest steal your happiness cast your fear in the fire fear he is a liar 
let your fire fall and cast out all my fears. Let your fire fall, your love is all I fear. Let your fire fall and cast out all my fears. Let your fire fall, your love is all I fear. Stop you in your steps. Fear, he is a liar. He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire. So it's an, it's an awesome song, and I love that fear is a liar line. I, I absolutely love that that phrase, that fear can be the thing that changes who we are. I mean, either we, we are overcome by it and unable to do what we're called to, or we yeah. step in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so David dumps the armor that he's been given, and he does kind of this unique thing. He picks up a shepherd's staff, five stones, and he approaches the, the giant David the shepherd, not the king or warrior or otherwise. Mm. I mean, there's something profound about who it is that ultimately takes the battle to the giant. Um, And so the Goliath continues that tirade. He continues to kind of taunt David. um, And David says, you come at me with sword and shield, but I'm going to come at you with the name of the Lord. I I love that line of the confidence in knowing who God is um, and that God is, is with us in the midst of this stuff about how that fits into COVID, that God is with this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's just some powerful thing in that. Um, and this is the R-rated version coming at us very quickly. Um, David runs at Goliath, slings a stone, strikes him down, and then cuts off his head. I mean, this is not <laughs> children's version, right? Um, but then he takes his head and his sword and shield, and he takes it home with him to his tent. Um, why? We kind of got to wonder what's creep <laughs> right <laughs> like, totally why why would you do this um and then saul actually wonders right at this point and we wonder if this is saul's kind of losing it or unsure the guy who went to give david his armor forgets who david is and he says well who is this guy um and ultimately the answer comes that i am david son of jesse of bethlehem i mean i love that connection to who his his history is. Um, and so David, ultimately the story of David is elevated in the ranks. He has military success and group success. Um, and Saul keeps giving him more and more and more power. And that kind of leads us into the end and a little bit of hint at next week's um, yeah. lesson, right? Yeah, because uh, 
So first this Sunday, we're going to go more into the fear because one of the big ironies mm-hmm. is, yes, David, David conquers his fear and fights Goliath and, and conquers him. And then what happens next as his uh, fame grows and he is given more power, ultimately that current king, Saul, uh, who is giving him all that power and praise, realizes that David is becoming more popular than he is. And so that can't happen. <laughs> that is no good. And so uh, ultimately Saul will try to kill David and David in fear will run. And so on Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit about fear and that fear that self, uh, fear of self-preservation, which is a good and healthy fear to have. But then those other fears that are, you know, less life-giving and can be more you know, derailing us from what's important in life. And so it, I'm looking forward to that conversation for us to wrestle with that. And then next week, we will go into the story of kind of David getting to be out on the run, like, uh, because there's an interesting thing that grows out of Saul's disdain for David. And that is a really beautiful and surprising friendship between David and Saul's son, Jonathan, uh, which is this great kind of bromance friendship uh, (laughs) where uh, they are just really good friends and Jonathan will ultimately help him escape so that Saul can't kill David. And so uh, that's kind of where we're uh, going here uh, into this uh, next series is to, uh, in the next week ahead, is on Sunday talk about fear and then get into friendship with uh, David and Jonathan. So uh, looking forward to having you come back and join us for those. Uh, but for today, we'll wrap up with a psalm. This is Psalm 13, and it's a psalm that I think fits really well with today. It is a psalm of David. And so we're reading it alongside of uh, this story of the battle of, with the Philistines, with Goliath. Uh, but David had many battles, and so maybe he wrote this about uh, that day he was fighting Goliath. Maybe he wrote it about one of his many other battles maybe it was an abstract enemy in battle we don't ever know exactly the context and so that's i think what makes it relatable to us whatever the enemies Mm -hmm. and goliaths that we're facing so uh, we'll close with uh, this psalm psalm 13. how long O lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must i bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.